Hello, welcome to our online gathering. My name is Hannah and I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. It's Christmas week. We're super thankful that you're here and we are going to dive into another carol of Christmas. It was 1843 in a small town in southern France and a parish priest was wanting to do something special to celebrate not only the Christmas season, but the church had just gotten a new organ. So they wanted to have a little party, a little celebration for that. So the the parish priest hired a local poet to write a poem for for this event. And while the poet wasn't a religious man, he was like, well, I'll get paid for this. So I'll I'll go ahead and do this. While he was on a, a stagecoach to Paris, he grabbed a Bible, opened up to the Gospel of Luke, and then penned the words of Midnight Christians which was his kind of interpretation of what it might be like to be present for the night of Christ's birth. This poet had a friend, a Jewish composer, who put some music to to the lyrics, to the poem, and it kind of came to life. And Midnight Christians was performed, the timing's a little iffy, but on Christmas Eve at this this local parish um, celebrating this, this new organ, but then quickly became a beloved song throughout all of France until church leadership actually banned it from church liturgy because they found out that had been written by an atheist. About a decade later, in 1855, an American minister kind of recaptured this song. He was an abolitionist and and was inspired by the lyrics, but he, he adjusted them to be what we now know as the song, O Holy Night. So O Holy Night, once it was kind of reworked in America, also became a really popular song, particularly in the American North, where it was in support of the abolitionist movement with its kind of clear spotlight on the sins of slavery and oppression. So O Holy Night, it was written by an atheist. It was brought to life by a Jewish composer. It was banned from church liturgy. It was recaptured by an American abolitionist. It was claimed to be the first song in 1906 to be broadcast over radio airwaves. And if that's not enough, Mariah Carey made sure that Oh Holy Night would be a classic in the homes across America, if not the world during Christmas time. So let's read those lyrics together of Oh Holy Night. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. 
the poet who wrote the words to the original French version, uh, Midnight Christians, was inspired by the Gospel of Luke, particularly Luke 2. And that's the passage that we're going to look at today. So go ahead and, and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 8. And I think that this story just holds some important stuff for us, especially in light of the year that, we ha- that we've had as we seek to follow Jesus in this Christmas season. Our scripture reader for today is Denise Douglas. Today we are reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Denise. Okay, so today I really want to focus on the shepherds in this story. I think that they can serve as as guides for us, or maybe as shepherds for us, see what I did right there, as we seek to respond to the presence of God in our lives. So the shepherds, they're living out in their field, they're doing their thing, they've got their life, their livelihood all figured out. Really the only thing that they're kind of preparing for that night is maybe a predator, a wolf coming in and disrupting their sheep. The last thing that they expected was that they would be visited by the glory of the Lord. Luke 2, 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. So as crazy as this would have been for the shepherds, it's actually not all that unique of a story as it relates to scripture. We see many examples of of God just showing up in the lives of these regular people. We see that in Moses in the the burning bush, Hagar in the wilderness, Mary Magdalene as she is in the garden and, and witnesses Christ in his resurrected body. And as I read about this story of the shepherds, my my brain can't help but see these clear parallels to this other story in the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah encounters the glory of the Lord in the temple. So I want to revisit that story. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. This is Isaiah recalling his experience. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. In both of these stories, with the shepherds and with Isaiah, 
God enters into their story and invites them into God's bigger story. And in both of these stories, their first very, to me, understandable, very human reaction is terror. It is fear. Isaiah is freaked out because his whole life has been built around this system of impurity and purity. In order to enter the temple, in order to be in the presence of God, or even near the presence of God, you kind of had to get yourself already through these purification rituals. If you weren't prepared to be in the presence of God, you die, and he's freaking out. Woe is me. I am ruined. In the Old Testament, God's holiness is treated kind of like the sun. And the laws and purification rituals that we see in Leviticus and other books of the Old Testament are kind of like, like sun protection. You know, you got your visor and your sunglasses, SPF, all that stuff, in order to be able to, to be in the presence of God without burning up. Isaiah didn't have all that stuff ready when he was encountered by the glory of the Lord, and he thought that he'd be ruined. But then something pretty remarkable and a little odd happens. Isaiah says it like this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So rather than all those purification rituals making Isaiah ready for God's presence, God makes Isaiah ready for God's presence. God atoned for all that was lacking, and God made Isaiah holy by imparting God's own holiness to Isaiah. And that story marks just the beginning of what God would do then and throughout all of Scripture and fulfill in Christ of reconciling God to God's beloved world. When we sing, O Holy Night, we're talking about the fulfillment of that hope, of that hope of reconciliation. While the live coal brought healing to Isaiah, now this Savior is bringing healing to the whole world. I love how O Holy Night describes it with a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Now that, that we are made whole and holy in Christ, we can share in God's presence and share in God's communion and be conduits of that presence and that love in our world. Christmas is a time where we seek to be kind of recaptured and re-wondered by this story. And like the shepherds, it's also a time to, to reckon with the fears that can keep us from, from fully entering in. I think that this story in Luke 2 holds some important invitations for us as a community seeking to, to follow Jesus and to share the love of Jesus in our world. So I want to look at some of those invitations here together. The first invitation in Luke 2 is to let Jesus speak to your fears. To let Jesus speak to your fears. Frankly, it encourages me that a lot of people in the Bible were scared. The shepherds were scared, prophet Isaiah was scared, Moses scared. All throughout the scripture we see these individuals who are afraid, are afraid of what this story of God means for their lives. And often we focus on the be not afraid message that's all throughout scripture and it's such an important message we we need that. It's written hundreds of times throughout scripture. But in order to get to that be not afraid part, 
we have to give Jesus access to our fear. We've got to let our fear be part of the story. So fear has been a little bit of a buddy for mine for the last decade or so. I remember my last year in college was a particularly uh, strong year of fear for me. There's this one day in the spring that in between classes, I went back to my dorm room and crawled up on my top bunk and was just gripped in this experience of fear. It was spring, so graduation was coming up. I was having to make these decisions about relationships and what was next, and I was just paralyzed in panic. I remember laying on my bed, just crying out to God, freaking out, not knowing what to do. And then I reached over and have a little notepad next to my bed, and I scribbled down this prayer, this ache, crying out to God, I will not fear. I will trust in your love. I will not fear. I will trust in your love. That prayer really continues to be a compass for me as I continue to dance with fear in my life. But in order for that prayer to to be a comfort and to hold words of life, I have to give Jesus access to those fears. If I'm pushing them down, if I'm unwilling to acknowledge their presence, I can't receive that message. I can't receive that truth. I can't choose to trust God if I'm pretending that there's nothing to trust God about. When we behold, like the shepherds and like Isaiah, the the holiness of God, the glory of God, the, the radical ways of God's kingdom, and when we see the ways that we're invited into God's story, our first reaction can be terror. We're reckoning with these fears. Fears of not being in control. Fear of being exposed for who we really are and who we're not. Fear of pain and discomfort. Fear of loss. Fear of hurt. Fear of the unknown. Fear of our shame and our weakness. When we catch glimpses of God's story, And when we're invited more deeply into that story, our fears and inadequacies and and all of these vulnerabilities can kind of bubble up to the surface and we can feel overwhelmed. And yet it's here, it's right there in those moments of vulnerable encounter, of humility in the midst of holiness. It's right there that we can let Jesus speak to our fears. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. The Bible is not scared of our fear. The Bible speaks to our fear. Let Jesus speak to yours. It's okay to tell God that you're scared. Do you know that? I do it all the time. I love it. It's one of my favorite prayers. Pastor Oshita Moore says that shalom happens, that the healing of God happens, the wholeness of God in our lives. When we let the love of God, meet our most tender places. Let Jesus speak to your fear. The second invitation for us as we engage Jesus in our fear is to surrender to God's love. Surrender to God's love. 
This past week, I got a massage, fancy, I know. Um, I actually had forgotten about it. I booked it a couple of months ago because I was you know, working from home a lot, like many of us are. And I usually work from a standing desk, but at home I've been doing a lot of sitting on my couch. And so my neck and my shoulders and my back were just kind of starting to bother me. So booked this massage, went to my appointment this past week. And I remembered that massages, I mean, they're relaxing, but they're actually kind of a lot of work too. You have to like really surrender into them to let them kind of have their their healing work. There's this one part where I had to like literally let my neck just like fully relax into my masseuse's hands. And it feels kind of kind of vulnerable to let that happen. About every 30 seconds, I was having to remind myself to, okay, quit, quit gripping, let go, let go. Or maybe if you're stretching, you know, and you're you're trying to stretch, stretch something, you have to really like relax your muscles in order to get that healing benefit. Whenever I do stuff like that, I realize how deep set my default is to my body kind of gripping and bracing. You feel that in your body even as I'm talking about it? I think that my soul can be kind of like that too. It's a hard world and we've learned these survival instincts of of bracing, of gripping, of, of protection. The shepherds, they could have stayed in fear. They could have stayed protecting their flocks, keeping care of what they already had. But instead, they risked surrender. They risked the wonder of of not knowing what was around the corner, but trusting in God's love and story. In a big way, this is the choice that we make when we choose to follow Jesus is surrender. But also, it's this daily, moment-by-moment way of life where we surrender to God's love in the midst of our fears or whatever we're facing in our day. Author and priest, one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, he puts it this way. Do I want to surrender myself so absolutely to God's love that a new person can emerge? This requires a total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, restoring, and renewing. As long as I want to do even part of that myself, I end up with partial solutions. Like in my massage this last week, am I willing to kind of surrender and let let that healing work take place in my body? It felt vulnerable, like I said, to, to have to relax my neck, just like the weight of my head fully into her hands. And do we not trust God's capable hands to hold, to shape, to heal our lives? To surrender to God's love is to trust that God's vision of me and God's vision for me is more whole than my vision of and for myself. To surrender to God's love is to embrace the healing but sometimes painful reality that I'm not in charge. Tell me that I'm not alone and kind of struggling with that a little bit. Anyone else? Where might God be inviting you to surrender more fully to God's love today? Where do you have some places where you're gripping or bracing or striving? Maybe it's with your finances or how you spend your time. Maybe it's with a relationship, your kids, coworker, spouse, friend. Maybe it's with a hurt or a hope. Maybe it's just a general sense of waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? It's kind of happened a little bit this year. 
I know I can experience that gripping and that bracing in me and my body and in my soul in all of those areas. But when we do surrender to God's love, when like the shepherds we respond to God's proclamation and invitation to something new, we begin to taste that life that is truly life and the freedom that God intends for us. Like in O Holy Night, we can actually sing those sweet hymns of joy that the, that the song talks about, trusting in that mysterious and yet unwavering love of God. Okay, so most of you know me by now, and if you don't, you're about to learn pretty fast. I don't like to just talk about this stuff. I like to get us engaged and get us thinking and feeling and kind of living this stuff out. So I want you to practice something with me. We're going to do a little a little embodiment practice. We're trying to, to feel this out, this, this posture of surrender in our bodies. Sometimes our bodies can really help just lead the way for our mind and our hearts and our spirits. All right, are you with me? Now you're all in the privacy of your own home. So I don't, no one gets to see you do this other than your family, maybe a housemate, but you're all going to get to watch me do this. And so this is a little vulnerable, but I think, I think it's, it's going to be good for us. So we're going to do this. All right, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to pick a part of your body. Maybe it's a hand or your head, your neck, your shoulders. Maybe it's a leg, an arm, a part of your body that you're going to kind of just grip and brace and, and clench up. Okay, go ahead and do that. Maybe you're just going to do your whole body and just clench up your whole body. Okay, now I want you to take a big breath in with me. And as you exhale, I want you to just surrender and relax all of those muscles that you were just clenching. Maybe even kind of let your neck dangle there a little bit. Take another deep breath there. Can you feel that difference, that gripping versus that surrender and letting your, your muscles and your body relax? I want you to remember that sensation this week as you start to explore and talk with God. Where are the places in your life that you're, you're gripping, where you're striving? And what would that shift feel like? What would that look like to move toward surrendering to God's love? Finally, the third invitation that I, I want us to, to talk through today is to participate in God's love. To participate in God's love. All right, so we're going to look back at those, those shepherds there. They, they traveled to Bethlehem. They risked leaving their, kind of, their, their normal life of security there to see this thing that God was doing. They traveled to Bethlehem, and they find themselves just caught up in this story, in this wonder. They're amazed. They go, they go and tell everyone about it. The scriptures say that they return glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they were told. God's disruption of their just normal day-to-day -day life led to this experience of wonder and life. They found themselves telling everyone about it. They couldn't, they couldn't hold it in. They found themselves participating in God's story, participating in God's love. There's a pretty good chance, you know, when you think about it, that God would have just kept on doing what God was doing, even if the shepherds kind of didn't mind the angels that night, right? They're not that critical to the story, and yet they're invited 
in. They're invited to participate in this thing that was happening. I think God would have gone and, and done the thing that God was doing. But the shepherds and we are invited in to participate. As we let Jesus speak to our fears, and as we learn day in and day out to surrender to the love of God in our lives, we're invited. The fruit of that is participation. God's love, it's on mission in the world. Its plan is to heal the world, to bring it back to life. And while it's God's work, God's going to take care of it, we're invited to participate. Participation, so it's, it's not about performance, right? It's not about mustering up kind of the, the vision or mustering up the energy to, to keep doing good behavior that's going to keep God happy with us. Or it's, it's not duty. It's not kind of fake it till you make it stuff. Participation is all about our overflow. It's all about experiencing that reality of God's love in our lives and, and extending that reality, sharing that reality with those around us in all the unique ways that God has created us and positioned us to do so. There's not a formula for this. There's these daily small and big ways that we get to participate in the love of God at work in the world. In the Advent devotional that many of you are reading, it's been fun to follow along with you guys, I wrote a little welcome message in there where I talked about my favorite part of the Christmas story is this, this mystery of the incarnation. The incarnation is just a fancy theology way of saying that God became human. God became human. It's incarnational love. Through Jesus' incarnational and embodied presence, on earth. The world can know who God is. The world can know God's love. And do you know what the plan is now? For followers of Jesus, we're the plan. We're the embodied incarnational presence of God on earth. The church is called the body of Christ in all of its brokenness and, and beauty. We are called to participate in making the reality of God's love present, experienced, incarnational, tactile, physical here on earth. A few, year, a few years ago, I, I read a prayer in a book I was reading, or I think it was an audio book actually, um, and it, it just really captured my, captured my attention and it has really shaped the way that, that I seek to participate in the love of God at work in the world. It's this prayer that goes, Lord, help me participate in what you're doing. Help me participate in what you're doing. When I'm going into a conversation or a meeting or just going throughout my day, sometimes even when I'm going to the grocery store, whatever, just God, help me participate in what you're doing. It takes the pressure off me. I don't have to create anything or force anything or try and keep doing all these good things. I'm just surrendering to God's love and being open to participating in it in the unique, in the unique ways that God has created and positioned me to do so. So this week, I want you to consider how you might participate in this incarnational way of love. How might you, like the shepherds, just share in this thing that God has done, that God is doing, and to extend that work of love in the world? O Holy Night describes this moment when God kind of shows up on the scene with this holy disruption, this holy invitation. We're always being invited 
more deeply into the life and the love of God. And sometimes, or for me, oftentimes, that invitation to go deeper can kind of, the first reaction can be fear, can be terror. But as we let Jesus speak to our fears, as we taste of the the surrender to God's love, we we can then jump in. We can participate. What would it look like for you to let Jesus speak to your fears today? What would it look like to surrender just a little bit more fully to the love of God that's here, that's present for you now, today? And then what would it look like to jump in, to participate in this story of God moving out and healing this weary world? I I believe with my whole heart that wonder is waiting for us on that journey. And I also believe with my whole heart that it is worth it.